Welcome to the Chemistry Factor Podcast, dedicated to help you consciously inspire your actions in business, no matter what circumstances you're facing, transforming your stress into empowering success. I'm Coach Barney, founder of the Chemistry Factor. For over 25 years, I've worked with hundreds of successful business leaders who have all experienced how poor working relationships and unexpected business setbacks cause the anxiety and stress that weakens your productivity, innovation, and leadership skills. You do not choose to be stressed. It is a reaction, not a decision, that drains your energy, making work hard and less fulfilling. Together, we will discover how to empower your attitude to achieve the greater success and satisfaction you've always wanted in your business, career, and life. It is my honor to introduce today's Chemistry Factor guest, Vivian Sue. Vivian immigrated to the United States as a classical violinist from China in the 1980s, graduating from Juilliard School of Music. Instead of pursuing a career in music as a violinist, she listened to the wisdom of her father and took on a career in business, graduating with an MBA from Golden Gate University. She has enjoyed a fascinating global career of finance and operations in the advertising industry for the last 25 plus years. Beginning as a finance director with BBDO and later Bozell, becoming the CFO for IPG's Avert Free in Ginsburg, and then returning to China as the CFO COO of Greater China with McCann World Group. Vivian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you. We've known each other for quite some time, and I've always been fascinated by you as a person. Um, Thank you. I have an opening question. Uh What age were you when you decided to dedicate yourself to learning the violin? It was actually quite late. I think it was like seven, seven, eight years old. That's late. That's very late. But uh, I got very good teachers. My parents made sure each stage I got proper teacher. You know, like the teachers, they are, you know, some of them are very good at beginning stage. When you advance, you know, you have to, you know, get a, a different teacher. So my, my um, parents were very good on that. You had some good um, seafoods. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> So my father actually studied violin, you know, as an adult in Shanghai with a Russian. And uh, so he knew music, you know, I mean, he knows how to read music, you know, the playing, whatever. So that's why he knows, like, what kind of teachers uh, are better for each stage. Yes, I understand. Look, I can relate from a uh, tennis playing. When I first played Mm -hmm. with tennis, with someone with teaching children to make it Mm -hmm. fun. Yeah. And once it was fun, then you wanted to get better. And there were other instructors that would lead you to understand the intricacies mm-hmm. of the art. So Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's like working, you know, like after you have done, you know, certain things, you want to advance. You want to do something different in order yeah. to grow, right? Yes. Exactly absolutely. the same. What was it like when you moved to New York City, going to school in a foreign land? How long did it take you to acclimate? 
actually, I didn't feel too much of like a, 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 a challenge or difficult because it was a music school and I was very good. I was on a full scholarship. So Julia would say you were very good. Yes. Right. So <laughs> academically, I did not have too much of difficulty, but um, socially, I, as first couple of years, I was um, mostly with the Chinese people. And um, I, I studied English in China, but, uh, you know, understanding, listening and uh, speaking was, uh, was a little bit difficult. And then one year I went to a summer camp, a music summer camp. There were no Chinese there. And I, I think that was the second, um, second summer. I was basically forced to, you know, communicate everything in uh, English. That really uh, helped a lot. I where, improved where, my English. Where was the Upstate camp? New York. Upstate uh, New York. Interesting. Changing careers can be a difficult decision. You put all this time, effort, and energy to be a violinist. <laughs> How stressful was it for you to decide to shift from classical music to finance? Okay, so mentally, I was very prepared to switch because my family uh, environment, right? My father was a capitalist before uh, independence. And then after Cultural Revolution, he started with his friends. You know, he is actually one of the founders, one of the 10 founders of SIDIC. Uh, and uh, so every time he came to visit me, all his friends were lawyers, investment bankers. And uh, so, I, you know, their conversation was always business. So I was surrounded by that and I was like, you know, not that difficult to, for me to switch. And I was very, very good in math in primary school and, you know, all the way. So I had a confidence of switch to business, but, you know, it was actually wrong. It's, you know, I thought I was good in math. I had confidence, but business is not only about math, right? <laughs> <laughs> and plus I had uh, two internships at Bankers Trust when I was at Julia, which, which was like really, really, you know, abnormal. First uh, summer I was at um, Bankers Trust in New York. I had no idea what to do. I remember uh, the HR uh, lady asked me, so what do you want to do? I said, I have no idea, whatever. <laughs> so she said, why don't you just do some Excel? Like, you know, it, it was a new thing back then, the Excel sheet, right? Yeah. And I, I think they liked me. And um, the following summer, they offered me an um, internship in Tokyo. Oh. So, yeah, I was there for the whole summer in um, capital markets. So, you know, I liked it very much. And plus, you know, the environment and some practicality uh, reasons. So I switched. But first year at MBA was very, very, very difficult. All the terms were new. I didn't know what revenue was. And I really, really missed playing the violin. And I had no time to practice at all. Uh, it took me a year to basically get uh, used to the business courses and stuff like that. Do you still play the, uh, the violin? Yes, I do, but not too much. Uh, there's something wrong with my this uh, middle finger. You know, if I practice um, more than 30 minutes, it, it's, it's like a painful. So, yeah, I, I am um, I'm thinking of getting back to this uh, orchestra that I was playing. They stopped during the pandemic. Is it a relaxing place for you? Yeah it's, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, absolutely. How did you choose to join the advertising industry? OK, so I worked uh, my first job was as Miss Bonnie. Right. 
it was, um, you know, investment banking, you work long hours. And uh, what really bothered me was like, you know, every month, every like two, three weeks, you know, you switch uh, on a different project, on a different industry. So I worked on a lot of different industries, but didn't know any in depth. So then I wanted to really get to know one industry in depth. And I start to look for um, a new job. And it's just like, you know, I had um, advertising and publishing and I picked advertising. And I found advertising is very, very interesting because you have people from all different, you know, fields, like creatives, painters, writers, anthropologists, you know, like people from everywhere. Um, so it's, it's very interesting. So you enjoy the diversity that it offered. I really enjoy diversity of different talents, yes. As well as different cultures, I would imagine. Different, yeah, but by then I was in the States for, you know, five, six years. So, no, more. Well, I'm just so, thinking of, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about your travels. <laughs> but yeah, the diversity is, you know, something that stands out. And what I'm thinking about is, as a little girl, from what China used to be before you left to the United States to what it is now, what stands out as the dramatic changes? You mean China? Oh, yeah. Where, you were from Shanghai, right? Oh, my God. The changes? It's just like enormous. Enormous. You know, like from like a surface level, you see all the infrastructures. It's amazing, right? You know, you come back to the States. Like, what is this? Like, third world country. Well, now that it's changed so much, amazing. Back in 1980, it was like a 60-watt light bulb down a street. Yeah, everybody wore the same clothes, you know, few cars. Basically, and now it's just just amazing. I mean, change, I I can't, uh, like, you know, the only thing I can say is uh, change is amazing, right? And um, also, people have changed, too from, uh, you know, Chinese uh, people, I mean, always, always, culturally speaking, very business people. Because mm-hmm. there's, there's no religion in China. I mean, I'm, I don't mean in the communist uh, uh, party, but, you know, historically, China never had its own religion. You know, Buddhism was kind of imported. Taoism is really not a religion. It's a way of life. Mm-hmm. So yes. Chinese people have been always very commercial doing business. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, you know, I feel it's more capitalism uh, than uh, the States. You know, very well be. Yeah I, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Uh-huh. Your story of balancing business, culture and family, sharing time with your family, both in the United States and China, with your daughter spending many formative years learning from your grandparents. I remember when you made that decision. That was very important to you. Yes. How easy was it to achieve? That's why I decided to move back to China, because it's very difficult to achieve that if you live here. I have friends, you know, Chinese friends. They send their children to Saturday Chinese school. You know, they tried everything, but uh, their children still don't really speak uh, Chinese that well. And also writing. I think to learn a language is not about being able to speak that language. Really, if you you know, learn the language in writing, reading, speaking, and everything, it's really to learn the culture. 
you know? So mm-hmm. for me, learning language is not like just being able to speak the language. You have to, you really learn the culture because it's like something influenced you uh, by learning the language. So yeah. being in the environment, so, you know, my daughter, you know, she has Chinese friends. I mean, her social circle is very, very diverse. And with her grandparents, everything. So I don't really have to like teach her Chinese culture. Just by living there, you know, you you get uh, influenced. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And the wisdom of your of her grandparents is passed on. Mm-hmm. You, you you can't do that if you're not living with them. Right. And I think that was very important for you. Right. Like you know the food. The activities, <laughs> everything, you know, it's just, um, you know, you have to live there to to experience it. But yeah. uh, for me, going back, because before I came here, I was a student. I was not really in contact with the, the society or everything. So after I went back, it was um, kind of like a shock, right? Even that's why I always say, you know, some Westerners, they go to China for two weeks. They feel like, oh, I know China. That's just not possible. You know, not possible for me as a Shanghainese grew up there and speak the language, read and write and everything. It took me about two years to really understand how to do business, deal with the Chinese doing business and how to like, you know, do the contract properly, how to negotiate. Because, you know, even though we had a lot of multinational clients, but the people working in those companies, they are Chinese, local Chinese. So, so and also, culture. yeah, also you have to deal with the government, you know, the finance bureau, the tax bureau. You really, I mean, it took me about two years to suddenly feel like, you know, uh, a click and comfortable. You may remember, I lived in Hong Kong for seven yes. years. Uh-huh. And when I came back, I had what I called reverse culture shock. Uh-huh. Uh, it sounds a little the same. A lot of things that everybody could relate to that I had no idea about anymore. Mm -hmm. And so you're coming back. And I know I I lived in Hong Kong Mm -hmm. and the Hong Kong Chinese were treated a little differently than, you know, if you were a mainlander because, Mm -hmm. oh, well, you're you're really British crown colony. You're, you know, you're not quite the same. And, you know, you're coming from America. That must have been a bit of a shift as well for you. In, In Shanghai, yes. At beginning. Yeah, in the um, beginning. In the beginning, yeah. But, you know, I speak uh, Shanghainese and, um, you know, I, I try to make uh, friends with uh, the local people. I work very closely sure. with them. Yeah, that's one thing. I mean, I really love the job there because you have people really, I mean, the diversity also, you know, beyond the talents is the geographic diversity, right? Mm-hmm. You have people from Europe, America, Australia, you know, Southeast Asia. Not too many from East Asia, but Southeast Asia. So it's it's just really interesting. You know, you learn so many different things. People think, people do things differently on one issue, you know, so you get a lot of ideas. What stands out for you as the difference between American and Chinese consumers? Oh, Chinese consumers are very, very price sensitive. Okay, I mean, it's a paradox, right? It's, it's very, very interesting. They are very, very price sensitive, but they also extremely, like, and this, this is a huge difference between the Chinese American, is um, like, you know, when I was here, I didn't care. I mean, I just, you know, buy whatever, like, suits me, right? I'm not, I was not into brand names and stuff like that. 
And the Chinese are very into branding, okay? Yes. And they are so conscious of that. And I think because, you know, like I've been, after being so poor for so long, they want the best. But, you know, it's wow. actually improving a lot. You know, like when, okay, so for example, when I went there, okay, I was the boss. I was making a lot more money than my, my staff do. But you know what? They all have like Gucci handbags, Chanel shoes, whatever. Oh, okay. So <laughs> I remember one day it was just like, you know, so funny. My, my staff was like, asked me, oh, Vivian, what bag is that? So, you know, she was asking me because she thought she didn't know the brand. You know, it might be like a famous brand or something that, they, they, you know, she didn't know. I said, oh, I mean, I think it's very functional, whatever. And, and then gradually, you know, like I kind of changed too, you know, when I buy new stuff, I don't buy like the generic things anymore. So you get influenced. Everybody, yeah. yeah, I mean, so that's like a huge difference. So they are very price conscious. In the meantime, if it's, that is like a symbol. They will spend like anything to do it. Mm-hmm. Interesting you say what you do, because there was a writer by the name of Jin Zhang mm-hmm. who wrote an article for LinkedIn and pointed out three differences between Chinese and American consumers. I want to mm-hmm. see wh- the one you just mentioned. Chinese are very brand conscious. Status conscious. Status conscious. They're status brand conscious. It, actually, they goes together. One is the desire to be seen. Mm-hmm. Okay. The other is brand credibility, because maybe decades ago, the brand credibility that they were getting was suspect. Mm-hmm. And as, as time has gone by, they're, they're much more conscious of brand credibility where. No, actually, actually, there was so few brands, you know? Right. The marketing thing is a new concept for Chinese. Yes. You know, it's only. It's a new concept for like the last 20 and most 30 years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there were very, very few brands that uh, you, you were aware of. Right, right. They mentioned personal preference versus recommendation. Americans Definitely. like to make it. Definitely. American are more intuitive. I, I'm going to buy it because I like it. But with the Chinese, it's about, you know, I want to get the right recommendations from my friends and from from the social media and things of that, they're much more conscious that way. So, yeah, that actually is deeper than that because Chinese, you know, are very family, a group-oriented people. Oh, you, you just, that's another area we're going to discuss in a few minutes. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. So you want to discuss it now or go back well, to the previous? Yeah, well, if we're, we're, we're going to, you know, if we're going to talk about the difference between Chinese and American cultures, yeah. Okay. One of the first things that is said is that Chinese uh, society is more about the group. Yeah. While Americans celebrate the individual. Right. So that's that's actually is completely in correlation what you know they prefer you know like people's reference and you know Americans uh, uh, it's just by recommendation and then they want something. Like, you know, the people they know. So go back to the original point is, you know, like if my friend circle, they all they all buy, I don't know, like a product, for example, yes. you know. And uh, so I want to fit into that group. So I buy product level kind of thing. Ah, right. It's yes. I don't think it's a product that they want, uh, you know, like, you know, the, the, the reference or whatever. It's you want to fit into that group. And uh, there's another group, probably these, like, you know, they prefer coach. 
You know what I mean? So it's like a lower level kind of thing. So you don't want to buy a product because then, you know, people think you are uh, like to show you something. So, so how, how much more complicated? What are the differences that you had to overcome from being in the United States so long in advertising versus learning the Chinese cultural preferences? For me, the cultural preferences is like very, very easy. You know, I mean, I subconsciously knew, right? So, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, a lot of things. Oh, for example, like all the Chinese, now the government is cracking down on the ad, you know, institutions um, outside of school kind of uh, classes and stuff. My friend's kid is uh, learning tennis. Mm -hmm. So I want my kid also to learn tennis or, you know, uh, fencing. It's just, um, you know, inference with your friend's group. And there's always, for Chinese, it's so strange. Anything has a chain. Okay, so for like sports, for the kids, now horseback riding is on the top of the chain, right? (laughs) And then the fencing and whatever. And uh, so to study instrument, there's a chain. That, you know, whatever your kid is studying, it represents your status. Right. Um, What I'm trying to understand, okay, is that there's differences between American and Chinese cultures and and the way they they view products and buying. mm -hmm. Yet the truth of the matter is, you know, we're all motivated by the same things. Mm -hmm. Comfort, money, uh, providing for family, job Mm -hmm. satisfaction, security. We have different goals or different paths to reach their those goals. Mm-hmm. And the better we understand our differences, the easier it is for us to understand what we have in common. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, as I mentioned a little while ago, Chinese society is about the group. Americans are more about individuality. Mm-hmm. That's perfectly OK if you understand it. American business is flatter. And, you know, there's something about the way the Chinese revere status revere mm-hmm. in business. You know, wouldn't be so easy for an account executive to talk to the chief executive officer in China. Is that a fair? I think for local for local companies, it is. But for, you know, multinationals, I mean, the people still have that mentality. It depends on the boss. Right. If the CEO, you know, goes to talk to a lower level staff very friendly. And, you know, I think it's fine. I mean, so for most multinational companies, the senior management, most of them are experts. Like I always have lunch with my staff with different departments, like in lower level. So this you is came great from because you know what? They are the people <laughs> who are doing the work. Yes. I really need to get to know them in order for them to be motivated and deliver. Yes, I, I agree with you. Say, yeah. But, but you're bringing, I, I don't know if you would have been that way had you never have lived in the United States? I would, because my you, father was like that. Ah. My father would talk, to, would talk to the beggars on the street, okay? Oh. And, you know, people were like, why doing this? Like, you know, and then he said, you know, everybody's equal. So this is one thing I was ingrained when I was growing up. Everybody's equal. Doesn't matter what position you are. As a human being, you are equal. You never know a beggar could be spiritually higher than you. I no? 100% agree with you. Yeah. I, yeah. So for me, it's very natural. It really doesn't matter whether I have been here or not. Would you say generalizing, though, that that might not have been the case in China? 
I think uh, in McCann, I mean, with most multi-man national companies, it's uh, less than a uh, a local company. But, you know, in the States, you don't really talk to like the global CEO, you know, like you see him <laughs> in the elevator, you say hello. So, you know, it's it's about the same thing. It really depends so on the So you're boss. saying there's a lot of similarity now. Oh, yeah. I think on this level, it's the same. It really depends on the boss. You can have a boss like in the States, very friendly with everybody else. Then I think there's no difference, culturally speaking, on that level. Like the Chinese, uh, you know, lower level staff don't don't have don't have the opportunity to talk to a boss. No, it's the same thing. In the States, it's the same. Interesting. So what would you say is the most inspiring part of what you do? Most inspiring part is the job is not, it's so vertically, horizontally integrated. So it's always very exciting, interesting. And I think the job in the States is more like, you know, a linear. It's just um, in China, you have to deal with uh, people from everywhere. Like your clients could be global clients in, in Paris. You know, you could be, you have to work with your regional people, your global people. And meantime, you have to work, you know, horizontally with like, you know, different discipline heads. And uh, with the client, sometimes you really have to work with not only the boss, but the lower level people. You know, I mean, this is Chinese saying, the little people can make your life difficult, you know? So, <laughs> so you really have to have a good relationship with their secretaries, you know, their staff, everything. Otherwise, you know, because the, the bosses rely on them to, to do the actual work, right? Well, so, Confucius said, love what you do and you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah. And I add, love who you're doing it with. Exactly. Because that's really what the, you know, that, that's the difference. Yeah. No, but even if you don't like the person, but you have to work with that person. You have to find a way to like them, right? Well, that's what, you know, that's what the chemistry factor talks about is discovering what you have in common yeah. with the person that you're working with, because we're so prone to being able to notice what we don't have in common, mm-hmm. which makes work much harder. Yeah. No, this is always, always the key. And that's my experience, uh, you know, from working in China. Some, you know, clients were very, very difficult, famously difficult. And uh, how do I find the sweet spot to work with that person? How did you? You (laughs) Well, I try to like, you know, see whether he has children, you know, like the stuff, um, you know, the kind of food he likes. Now you find a, you know, you know, you can even tell by the clothes he wears, like in the places he travels. You know, you find some commonality, right? You mix the personal individual with the business individual. No, this is, yeah, exactly, Bonnie. This is the one one difference between here and China. In China, you absolutely have to, you know, mix personal. I don't mean, you know, I mean, bribery is not allowed. You know, (laughs) I never do that. I never do that. I didn't say that. I never. No, no, exactly. No, when I say personal, I mean, I don't, I want to make it very clear. Because, you know, in China, you have to make it personal, make that person like, you know, feel like your friends. Then business become much easier. And then you make it very clear. I work for American company. I'm sorry, I cannot give you presents. But, you know, but you, 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 you know, you help him if he's traveling to somewhere, you know that place, you help him with itinerary, 
you know, you will come in the place. You're there to support. You're, you're yeah. there as a support. And, you know, the support, support is not necessary. Exactly. And um, I had, um, I'm not going to name the company name. Uh, it was like, you know, it had a huge, huge receivable problem. And um, so I had to work with a different uh, divisions, whatever. This uh, lady, well, she was hard nuts, very hard to crack. You know, basically she said, we lost all the paper. You know, I mean, we can't do anything. So then I found out her daughter is about the same age. So I gave her uh, my daughter's English books. And uh, if she, you know, she wanted to her daughter to learn this, I recommend like the you know, tutor, whatever. So like after a while, we kind of bonded over like, you know, our child's educational well, side. That's exactly, that's what, you know, what I was saying before is we all want comfort. We all want money. We all want family and job satisfaction and security. And when you can find it, when you find what you have in common with people, mm-hmm. suddenly the world changes. Yeah. And suddenly I, they, they are I, I call it values. So suddenly they feel like they can, you know, connect with you and trust you. Yes. You know, that's, that's what makes a successful agency marketer relationship is the trust and the yeah, purpose. Trust is the most important thing. But how do you gain the trust? It doesn't really have to be from work, work. Because, no, you it, know. It's it's from what values you have in common. And yeah. sometimes those values are personal and sometimes they're not. And I don't like to separate business from personal. I think they're one and the same. Yeah, I from my personal experience, in America, when you do the job, like, for example, you deal with clients, with whatever, it's more work-oriented. You know, you don't really get into their personal stuff. I mean, so, okay, so the difference is in America working, you don't really get into your personal stuff because it's a privacy. Privacy is such a big part in the States, right? It's like in the psyche. But in China... I mean, it's not a big thing. So like you always, I mean, everybody I work with, regardless, like, you know, it's a client, it's, you know, whatever it is, I'm friends with them, like from a personal level. When we do business, it's business. You know, there's a a separation when there's business and personal. But when I speak of personal, if I'm listening to someone on the phone and they're sounding aggravated, okay, what's the matter? How are you? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Oh, I just had a car accident or, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you, you listen to what they're dealing with mm-hmm. and you're there to support them because mm-hmm. too often people aren't listening carefully enough to each other. Mm-hmm. They are listening mm-hmm. just for business. Yeah. And that does not create really strong relationships. And mm-hmm. to me, the most important factor in a successful career is to build meaningful relationships, nurturing yeah. your network, I call it. Yeah, exactly. So for your example, um, somebody said, oh, I just had a cop uh, accident. And then my experience in the States, people are like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, they just like emotionally comfort you because emotion is most important in American society. Right. Like if they want to comfort you. But in China, if that happens, that person will say, OK, call this person. Yes. You know, like, I mean, that's the, the cultural difference. Chinese people are just more like very, very practical and business-like, they immediately, like, you know, find solutions for you. The word you're talking you're looking you know, for empathy and acting upon your ability to help them in whatever they're dealing with. Yeah. So here, I've got a great mechanic. Give this guy a call. Tell him I mentioned, you mentioned my name. Right. You know, something like that. That is 
the way to build a, a stronger co- company culture and so, relationships with clients. So, you know, this 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 uh, cultural thing, you're talking about American and Chinese, uh, that's like really deep culture. Okay, so like, let's say, I deal with my, my, my daughter, right? She always criticized me for that. And uh, if she has a problem, I immediately say, okay, so you have this problem. Let's uh, do this, 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 right? Uh, you know, and then she gets upset. She said, instead of comforting me, you know, you immediately tell me what to do. Right. No, you know? I get it. No, no, I get it really clearly. And so what you want to do in that situation first is how can I help you? And if she says, no, there's no need, mom, I got it covered, then you let her cover it. And that's the, you know, at least that's my way. I mean, mm-hmm. but if you if you immediately go out and say, well, this is what you've got to do, you're, no. you're dictating. And, well, well, well we, I understand, yeah. but I don't say that's what you need uh-huh. to do. I said, you know, I think, you know, it's to correct uh-huh. the situation. You need to do this and that. So what my point is, yes, my point is, you know, a personal relationship in a way when I was, I worked here for, for a long time. I mean, I had friends, you know, it's more like emotional support kind of thing. But in China, I feel I have a stronger personal network because everybody actually help out. In, in reality, they help out instead of just leaving on this emotional support level. Well, they're, they're so, stronger in group and Americans are more about individuality. Yeah, exactly. And that is one of the differences. There's no doubt. But what I've noticed, you know, as I've been a coach for so many years, is that people want to be heard. And when Mm -hmm. you recognize what they're really saying, when you're listening deeper than just, you know, to the words, Mm -hmm. uh, that's how you can build stronger friendships and stronger Mm -hmm. relationships. Mm -hmm. Look, we could, we could, I know we could talk all day, (laughs) but you know, let me ask you, do you have any questions of me about what I, you know, what we're talking about? Because what we're really garnering here is how do we build stronger relationships with mm-hmm. people and, and cultures? And there are so many different cultures in, in the United States and in China that it's helpful to, to understand how we can better form relationships together with different cultures and different people. Yeah. Um, so how did you... Um feel when you first moved to Hong Kong? It was amazing. I'm going to give you a quick story. I've always wanted to go to China. I always Mm -hmm. felt China was an old country that had a lot of wisdom. So when I was asked to go over to audit a company, I'm walking down the stairs in uh, Kai Tak, which was the airport at the time. Mm -hmm. And as I'm walking down the stairs, a woman rushes up to me. Hello! gives me the biggest hug and a kiss. Who's that? Was, well, that's the interesting part of the story. She she picked the wrong person. Oh. <laughs> but but it, it was kind of an indication to me like, oh, I should be here. Wow. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was kind of like, you know, someone up upstairs was telling me, welcome, welcome to China, welcome to Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. And so it was always, I'll never forget flying, you know, through through the the waters and looking at the you know, central and mm-hmm. Simshat Soy and mm-hmm. I mean it was just it was magical for me and mm-hmm. you know it was always about learning about the culture and the mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. Uh, they say that the French were very good at assimilating mm-hmm. English were not mm-hmm. <laughs> you know talking about culture there were three things about consumers that I were I was taught when I was 
was there one, the people from Guangzhou spent all their money on their food. Mm -hmm. The people from Shanghai like to spend their money on clothing. Mm -hmm. And the people from Beijing like to spend money on their home. Does that make sense to you? Is um, it still prevalent I, or is it changed? For Guangzhou, I completely agree. You know, they are so much into food. Shanghai, you know, yes. But uh, I think for uh, Beijing, they spend a lot of uh, money on their cars. Oh, that's changed. They didn't have cars when I was there. Yeah. And then <laughs> for the housing, bicycles housing is everywhere. And housing oh. is like all over China. Right. I mean, if you're excluding the housing, it's, you know, it's, it's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Well, the, the home, people in Beijing like to, to buy nice things for their home. I mean, to, to make them look beautiful. Yeah, Shanghai. I mean, that's that. I think uh, that's for everyone. Yeah. But uh, Beijing people, they very intellectual. They like to talk. They talk all the time. You know, and they you know talk about characters. Beijing people, they talk all the time. They are such intellectuals. And then Shanghai people are very very practical. They never promise anything, but they just do it. You know. Um, yeah, and Guangzhou people, they love they love food. <laughs> Yes, this I, we, we agree on that. Look, again, we could talk forever, but it's been a pleasure having you on the show. I, I want to thank you for being here. And uh, I look forward to hearing what your next adventure is going to be. Thank you. Next You're adventure, welcome. next travel adventure, we're going to Costa Rica end of year for uh, for two weeks. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Want to see some, uh, you know, uh, cow forests. Rainforest, some, uh, you know, uh, it has a very, very big uh, biodiversity there in that country. And you know what? Their, their vaccine rates for the whole country is 88%. Interesting. Amazing. Well, that's where individuality in this country might get in the way of our health. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, look, you have a great one. Have a wonderful holiday. And uh, thank you for joining. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and recommend The Chemistry Factor to your friends. If you would like to connect with me on social media, reach out to Barney Feinberg on LinkedIn. To connect with me directly, email barney at thechemistryfactor.com. Until next time, empower your business success every day.